0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo,
1: quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown.
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me again, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports
1: Media Group and 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's happening? Well, I had to unmute myself first because I was still getting situated with my coffee, but I'm sitting here with the decaf. I'm ready to answer some questions, and the closer we get to the Super Bowl, uh, the more excited I'm getting. Like, it's officially sunk in that the Niners are playing for a Lombardi trophy in 10 days.
2: Yeah, so we have a lot of podcast time to uh, to go through before the Super Bowl. Uh, we will have four episodes up by the t- before the 49ers play uh, we already had one this week we're gonna have at least two next week I will be in Miami um, so we will have uh, boots on the ground as they say so today we decided to do sort of an all-encompassing mailbag episode which I don't think we've done a mailbag since uh, since the off season. but um, hey little known fact Kyle did you know the 49ers have gone to the Super Bowl in each year of this podcast existence
1: that's not inaccurate. Like, in fact, it's we're accurate. not saying, we're not saying yes. that candlestick chronicles is the reason the 49ers are in the Super Bowl, but we're not, not saying that. Absolutely. So f- I think I speak for Chris and Kevin Jones and everyone else at the blue wire network. When we say, uh, you're welcome.
2: No question. Uh, so Before we uh, before we get into these questions, I know, Kyle, you had an announcement you wanted to make. Um, Here are two quick factoids that I think should give 49ers fans some optimism going into the Super Bowl, because why not? Lots Um, of
1: little vino factoids.
2: uh, Underdogs. So the 49ers are at least last time I looked they're what, one and a half point underdogs? Yes. Underdogs, eight and three straight up, not against the spread, straight up to win the game in the last 11 Super Bowls. So take that for what it's worth. Eight and three. Uh, Wears of white uniforms have won the Super Bowl in 13 of the last 15 games. So the 49ers are wearing white. They're an underdog who are eight and three in their last 11. And uh, so in my opinion, we don't even have to play the game or talk about it for the next two weeks because the 49ers are going to win based on those two facts.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. You got to <laughs> feel like the Chiefs feel awfully foolish for not choosing to wear white, since it is such a big determinant of a winner. If I'm the Chiefs, I'm also starting to float rumors of like, oh, Patrick Mahomes, he's he fell off his bicycle and skinned his knee, and he's going to be questionable and see if he can't move that line, maybe a half point in the Niners' favor so he can really hit that underdog side as well and just confirm the victory before kickoff a lot of good strategy happening right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're taking this episode of the podcast very seriously. You're all welcome um, by the way. As we always do, uh why don't you why don't you tell the people about our friends over at Striking Gold?
1: Oh yeah, that's another 49ers podcast, probably a little bit more serious than this one. Uh, but they got an episode up right now that's Rob Louder and Eric Crocker. Uh, they're Striking Gold on the Blue Wire network. They have a recap up now of the NFC Championship game. They got a quick look ahead to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, two very different personalities from us. They do a lot of uh, really good stuff. Uh, Eric Crocker had a cup of coffee in the NFL, does some coaching now, a former defensive back, really smart guy. And uh, Rob, you know him from this podcast he's been on before. He writes at Niners Nation. He wrote for, for you over at Niners Wire as well. Uh, really smart, really intelligent guy. Uh, and it's it's two smart dudes talking football, which is always good. So check him out. Uh, once you're done with our podcast.
2: And shout out, this was Kyle's idea, um, but shout out to our editor, Tyler Chin, who's going to do this tonight. And uh, we have a whole group of editors who do a great job and we don't shout them out enough. So um, that was Kyle's idea, though. I'm not trying to take credit for it. But should we get to the questions? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Do you want to ask the first one or should I?
1: You can You can do the first one. Okay, but I'm doing so... the second one. And Lord help this place if you try and do the second one.
2: OK, you can do the second one. So Max D asks on Twitter, uh, any chance Akella Witherspoon resta- retains the starting role next season? Um, in my opinion, yes, there is absolutely a chance. He was a third round draft pick. I think uh, he's unquestionably has the higher ceiling than Emmanuel Mosley. And I think Akella Witherspoon was playing at a super high level at the start of the season before he had that foot injury in week three against the Steelers, which sort of derailed his season. And then he had a quad injury while he was trying to come back from that foot sprain. And that gave Emmanuel Mosley an opportunity to play a lot and, uh, and play really well. And um, I don't know what the reasoning is necessarily for Witherspoon and his downturn towards the end of the regular season, Um, And even in that first quarter of the Minnesota game when he got beat for a touchdown, which it looked like probably he should have made the interception on that long pass to Stephon Diggs because he wasn't positioned. I guess he just misjudged it. Uh, Diggs caught it. Witherspoon ended up falling down. But Witherspoon is kind of a mercurial player. Uh, He's up and down. He's a little bit inconsistent, but the highs are really high with him and he has the physical tools that you want in that position, the 49ers really like his skill set. Um, he's a team player, evident by you know his willingness to take all of Emmanuel Mosley's special teams reps once Mosley took over that starting job. So the 49ers like that about Witherspoon. But yeah, I mean, Witherspoon could get better in the offseason. He could have a really good training camp, and, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was back in the mix as a starter uh, next year. But uh, that's that's a long time from now.
1: Yeah, at the very least, he'll be in the conversation. Richard Sherman turns 32 this offseason. So even if he's good next year, he's going into the final year of his deal and on the wrong side of 30. Eventually, the 49ers are going to need to find a replacement for him. And they may have one in Akella Witherspoon. We've seen enough highs from him to believe that he can be a really good player. But he's also entering the final year of his contract next year. So if he comes out, in a big time cornerback competition with Emmanuel Mosley. They drafted Tim Harrison, the sixth round this year, really like well-built physical specimen, uh, who had a couple of really good seasons in college at Virginia. He's been on IR all season. He'll be in the mix. And then I imagine they, they add a pick or two in the draft at that spot, just to kind of increase the competition. I don't know if Witherspoon will definitely get a starting job, but I certainly think that that he's going to be in the mix for it. All right, this this second question's
2: yours. You wanted it very badly.
1: Yeah, Sacktown Tony responding, I think, to a tweet that I had made earlier based on something I heard on Sports Talk Radio. He said, better Jimmy comparison, Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson? And I said on Twitter today that if you're comparing Jimmy Garoppolo and Trent Dilfer, like you're doing it right, like that's that's a poor comparison because <laughs> anytime there's a quarterback on a team where the defense has been the star of the show for most of the year, that quarterback automatically gets comped to Trent Dilfer who quarterbacked the 2000 Ravens. And I, I think that, that there's some misremembering of exactly what Dilfer did that season. He went 7-1. and one. He completed 59% of his throws. He threw 12 touchdowns and 11 picks. He averaged 6.6 yards per attempt. Brad Johnson, the quarterback on the 2002 Buccaneers, he completed 62.3% of his throws. In 13 games, he had a 92.9 rating. He averaged 6.8 yards per attempt. Jimmy Garoppolo, 69.1% completion rate. He threw 27 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. He had 102 rating and he averaged 8.4 yards per attempt. Like Jimmy Garoppolo does so much more in this offense than people like realize. And I think the two playoff games and the fact that he threw just 27 passes in those games skewed the vision of the 49ers offense, like so far to, to the side of Garoppolo being a game manager that people either didn't know or very quickly forgot how good he was for them at points this season and how vital he was to their success at points this season. So neither Dilfer nor Johnson is a good comp for Garoppolo because he is so much more important to the 49ers than those guys were to their teams.
2: So the Ravens and Buccaneers overcame their quarterback play to win those Super Bowls. Correct. Right? Like they. They had defenses that overcame that helped overcome what was happening under center. Um, the 40 to, 49ers are not overcoming Jimmy. Like what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing under center. Jimmy Garoppolo is helping them win games, right? He's just not doing it. He's not being asked to do it in a way that props him up and makes him look like a star. He's just a cog in the wheel at this point. Um, and he's not hurting the team. And so, we do this thing where we look at and not you and I, but I think national media people or people, people trying to stir the pot where you're either a star or you're trash. Like you're either the MVP of the team and you're the reason the team is winning or you're essentially being like the team has to overcome your play. And I, I don't have the sense that that's what's happening at all. I think, um, you and I have talked about it a ton. Like Jimmy Garoppolo has been good when the team's needed him to be good. Kyle Shanahan a- has had a tight leash on him at times, particularly after making bad decisions. But I mean, all the evidence suggests that Jimmy Garoppolo has been good to very good basically all year. He hasn't had a stinker of a game that has cost the Forty Niners um, yet. Really, I mean, they they lost that Seahawks, Seahawks game games. in November. He wasn't. But that. he. He also put them in position to tie the game at the end of that one with a with a game tying field goal as the fourth quarter came to a close, and he also drove them to to kick the game winning field goal in overtime. That of course was missed by by Chase McLaughlin filling in for uh, Robbie Gold. So point being, like, yeah, there are times, and I, I call Jimmy Garoppolo a game manager, a game manager plus early in the season before the before he had really won any games on on his own. Um, and then the Arizona games happened and then, you know, what happened in New Orleans, I think was the major turning point, And that sort of confirmed it for me um, because like to, pe- people forget what happened in 2017 or people don't really think about that. Like Garoppolo was very much the reason why the 49ers were winning those games. So yes. like he has done it before. He did it in a very limited sample size with the Patriots. He just didn't do it this year coming off the Achilles in the fr- or the ACL in the first half of the season. Um, but in the back of my mind, I thought that he did have it in him. Um, I think it was just kind of, he, he was just getting ramped up to that point. And I think he is at that point now. And I'm of the mind that, um, and you know, this is what the 49ers players will say in the locker room that the, if the 49ers needed Garoppolo to throw a lot in either of these two playoff games, I think Garoppolo probably would have been fine. Um, so Yeah. The, uh, the, the Dilford-Johnson thing doesn't apply, but I appreciate the humor in the question, assuming Sacktown Tony was, was being a little bit facetious. And... He definitely was. Okay, good. All right, 49er Liker, um, which is an underrated. Uh, do, you an like... underrated...
1: Now, do they like <laughs> them or like like, like them? <laughs> Very important.
2: It is, it is an underrated uh, Twitter handle or Twitter name. Um, Andy reads something of a master of the screen passing game. 49er Liker said, and those seem to give the Niners a little trouble. What makes his team so adept at this facet? And how does Sala and company slow it down? Um, I think it starts with just how smart Andy Reid is and and how he knows exactly what what play to call against, what look, um, and get blockers in the necessary places and utilizes athletes, right? Like the, the Chiefs have a ton of ridiculous athletes. Guys who are good with the balls in the, with the ball in their hand, and if you just get them the ball with blockers against certain defensive looks, then you're just going to get lots of yards. That's just how it works. Like I don't I don't think we need to, um, you know I'm not going to claim to be some X's and O's guru, um, and talk about exactly how that works because I'm not. But uh, I, how the 49ers slow it down? I mean, it, when you play as much zone as the 49ers do. Um, and you also have very talented players playing in th- those zones. That's the best way, in my opinion, to um, to combat screens, right? Because screens are designed to utilize uh, or, I guess, take advantage of defenses in man to man and or blitzes. Right. So if you send extra guys upfield, you run a screen, you leave massive pockets of the field wide open, and then uh, the ball carriers and blockers have space to work, and that's when screens are the most effective. Um, If you're not blitzing, which the 49ers don't do, uh, I think they were blitzed at one of the lowest rates in the league um, off the top of my head. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but if you play zone and you blitz, you just have guys in zones. You're not leaving the field unbalanced. You're typically not leaving massive pockets of space for the offenses to exploit. So that generally is how you guard against the screen and and you're just aware of it. Um, I know sometimes the 49ers pass rushers will get taken advantage of in terms of their speed off the ball and getting upfield as quickly as possible because that's how they're coached. But when you have good linebackers, fast linebackers like Fred Warner, quad Alexander and Dre Greenlaw, um, you can, you can be pretty effective against the screen game as long as you're reading things correctly. So, um, that, that will be interesting an interesting part of the game because, um, the 49ers are probably going to get lots of screens because the deep shots I don't think are going to be there. And they're, you know, the, the Chiefs are going to try to neutralize the pass rush as much as possible. And uh, and I think part of that is going to be dialing up a lot of screens.
1: Yeah, I think so. We saw the Packers score last week on a screen. And I actually thought the Packers would, would run more screen stuff with Aaron Jones and, and Jamal Williams than they did. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Reed dial those up with some regularity. Like we talk so much about Shanahan's brilliance as a play designer and a play caller. Well, Andy Reid and their offensive coordinator, Eric Bienemi, are right there. Andy Reid has been an excellent offensive coach for uh the better part of two decades. And you don't get there without being extremely creative and without finding ways to keep defenses on their heels. And so in the way that Shanahan, I mean, you can find film breakdowns anywhere on Twitter of the way Shanahan gives one look and runs a certain play out of it. And then the next game will give that same look, fake that play and run something completely different to the opposite side. I mean, there's there's ways that coaches set plays up and design plays to keep defense's eyes going the wrong direction. And Andy Reid is really good at that and patrick mahomes is also excellent at like what's the word i'm looking for um
2: playing quarterback
1: yeah that's it no like just the creative (laughs) arm angles and the way that the way he can get the ball to the the running back makes it even more difficult to defend the screens because you might have a guy in his face but he can drop down sidearm and still find a way to get the ball to that running back and then they get blockers out front their offensive line is really good and and very very effective and they also have weapons like Travis Kelsey and and Damian Williams their running back who work in a lot of the same ways that the Niners tight ends and running backs do in that they block but they'll also uh, kill you in the passing game so you can never rely on any one thing uh, when a certain personnel group is on the field so Uh, The Niners team speed, I think, especially in the second level with Fred Warner and Quan Alexander and Dre Greenlaw is going to be huge. Jakowski Tart, I think, is going to need to have a good game, especially when he's down uh, near the line of scrimmage. They they can't bite on on misdirections. They need to read screens. And um, if if they if they can take that away and allow their pass rush to kind of pin their ears back and and get after Mahomes, I think they'll they'll have a lot of success.
2: Agreed. Next question from our friend Zach Cruz. Is that how you say his
1: last name? I've always said Cruz. He's the Cruz. Packers Wire managing editor, which gives you a little bit of uh, an idea of why he asked this question.
2: Yes, this this was uh, humorous.
1: Um, are you guys expecting a Shanahan suspension
2: for manipulating an official before a play? <laughs> he says he'll hang up and listen. Um, I don't think so, no. Yeah, I don't, your, I don't, an, I don't
1: anticipate that. If you, if you somehow missed it, if you were one of the 6.8 million people who watched this video, then you know what we're talking about. But it's a clip from inside the NFL and NFL Network where Kyle Shanahan, before the pass interference on George Kittle late in the fourth quarter on the Niners' last field goal drive that put the game away, George Kittle on a third and three ran an out route where former 49ers cornerback Will Redmond interfered with him, flag gets thrown, Niners get the first down, they go down and kick a field goal. Shanahan before the play goes over to the side judge and he says, "Hey, watch the tight end. He's going to try and get outside, the cornerback's not going to let him." And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Flags fly, pass interference and and we know what happened. Uh I don't think Shanahan was manipulating the official as much as he was saying, "Hey, I know you're going to have a lot to keep your eyes on here. Specifically watch that player." Because the pass is going to him, I thought it was one of those things where that's the little attention to detail I think that separates good coaches from bad ones. It's Shanahan knowing that in that look, a cornerback Redman I think is five eleven, a buck eighty five. He's he's not going to be able to hang with Kittle if Kittle puts a body on him, and so to defend him, he's just going to hang on for dear life, and. That's exactly what we saw. It's the exact look Shanahan got, and it's exactly what happened. So I think that was more of of Shanahan being a smart coach than manipulating an official.
2: Right, and I don't think it's manipulating the official. And I know Zach is not right. He's actually, joking. Yeah. he's joking. But I mean, it was a blatant pass interference. Definitely. So it it wasn't one of those things where it was like sort of questionable. And then no, the official flew f- through the flag because of what Shanahan said. No, the official f- threw the flag because it was a blatant right. pass interference. So.
1: And that wasn't the only official who threw a flag either.
2: Multiple. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that was uh, yeah, very obvious. All right. Uh, O'Neal Lewis asks, do you think the Niners defense holds Pat Mahomes under 300 yards? Also, he likes the names of Kyle's cats. Catrick Willis is gold. Um, that's not a question. No, uh, but it's, I...
1: it's, an, it's an accurate statement, and Patrick Willis <laughs> is the sweetest boy on the whole planet. Yes, you are. Hello. <laughs> He's looking at me. He knows I'm talking about him. Um,
2: all right. Back to the so, football. Will the 49ers hold Patrick Mahomes under 300 yards? So going back through one, two,
0: three, four.
2: Eight games. Uh. Patrick Mahomes last eight games he's gone over 300 yards twice so I think there's a pretty good chance I mean Pat Mahomes is playing at a ridiculous level of course he threw for 3 321 uh, against Houston in the divisional round 294 against Tennessee Uh, eight total touchdowns zero interceptions he hasn't thrown an interception in the playoffs in his career yet um but yeah, I think it's a very real possibility the Niners hold him to, to under 300 yards. The Niners statistically are the best pass defense since 2009. I harped on that a lot um, in recent episodes, and uh, I I think, I mean I I think Patrick Mahomes is a real problem. He's the best quarterback the 49ers will have gone against. And the Chiefs' offense is probably is probably the best offense the 49ers will have gone against. But I also think that. Um, the 49ers defense is the best defense that chiefs have gone against. And I also think that two weeks to prepare for a team is an advantage for a defense, not necessarily an offense. And um, I think one of the things that stands out about just the 49ers schematically, which I think can be said about the Seahawks from earlier this decade when they had the Legion of boom and Richard Truman was on that team. I mean, it's not like an overly complex scheme by NFL standards. It's basically heavily relying on talent right so you can know what nick bose is gonna do um but you still have to be able to block him right like you can watch all the film in the world you can memorize every single move uh you can try to get a head start on everything he's still gonna have a counter and it's it's not gonna make him necessarily any easier to block so i mean i'm the point being is that like I don't know how much of an advantage the chiefs get by getting an extra week to dissect the 49ers defense. I think there is more of an advantage for the 49ers because they can study trends and tendencies out of formations and things like that. Whereas like the Niners defense is pretty basic by NFL standards. They will tell you that it's a heavy cover three scheme. They do a lot of um, single high. They don't blitz a lot. Um, That's a lot less nuanced than You know, like what Richard Sherman does is he memorizes formations and wide receiver splits and what routes those receivers run um, based on, you know, down and distance, uh, formation splits, all of those things. And one of the reasons why Richard Sherman is so good is because he knows he can take away the route basically before the snap because he knows what's coming. And that's probably like 70% of the time for, for Sherman. And so like... I think the 49ers do have an advantage there, and, and point being, I, I don't think it would be crazy at all if the 49ers held Pat Mahomes to fewer than 300 yards because he's only thrown for more than 300 yards twice in the last six games. So,
1: Can I tell you why I think he is going to throw for more than 300 yards? Is it because he's very good? That's part of it, yes. Okay, explain. But, further. but I, I, I think that he's going to have to throw a lot because I think the Niners are going to score on Kansas City. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Patrick Mahomes uh, drop back 45 or 50 times. And if he's doing that, he needs to be at six yards per attempt to get to 300. And I think he gets there. I don't think he gets there by way of like multiple 80-yard touchdowns, which we've seen him do before with with Tyreek Hill. But I just think by way of throwing uh, an ass load of passes, that's an analytics term, uh, (laughs) I I think he gets to 300 but it wouldn't surprise me if we come out of Sunday and Patrick Mahomes has, like, an Aaron Rodgers game from last week. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw for more than 300 yards last week. In fact, he threw for uh, 358, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers had a great game. And he had, it, like,
2: 260-something in the second half, 268, yeah, I think
1: the number was. Yeah, when the Niners were up 27 nothing and had kind of taken their foot off the gas. So I, I, I do think that... Mahomes goes over 300, but it would not surprise me if he went over 300. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I had that wrong. The Rodgers threw for 296 uh, net passing yards last week. I was looking at the wrong uh, thing. He had 326 total yards, though, uh, through the air. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see Mahomes have that kind of game, like 31-39 of 39 for 326 with a couple of touchdowns where we leave the game going, yeah, he racked up a lot of yards, but you know, the Niners actually held him in check pretty well.
2: Uh, Pat Mahomes, since I have his game log up, um, I'm looking at the chargers game specifically because the chargers run, uh, Gus Bradley's defense, who is sort of the mentor for Robert Sala, uh, very similar scheme, talented personnel, probably not as talented as the 49ers. Um, The Chargers held Pat Mahomes in the first game, uh, November 18th, 19 of 32, 182 yards, a touchdown, an interception, 72.7 rating, which is bad, Uh, 5.69 yards per attempt, also bad. Um, The next matchup, uh, December 29th, more recently, um, I mean, the Chiefs won that first game, 24-17, I should mention. Uh, The Chiefs beat... The Chargers again in late December, 16-25 for Mahomes, 174 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 81.1 rating, also bad, Uh, 6.96 yards per attempt, bad. So, I mean, if if we want to just say that Pat Mahomes is going to go against a similar defense in the 49ers schematically, um, and one that's more talented than the Chargers, and we look at those Chargers games as an indicator, and I don't know if we actually can, but um, Mahomes struggles against this kind of defense, or at least the Chargers' defense, which is similar uh, schematically to what the 49ers do. So, yeah, I think there's a good chance that he throws for fewer than 300 yards. Next question, this is from Miles. Love Miles,
1: big Miles fan, very good Twitter Kyle's user. Miles,
2: big Miles fan. I don't know Miles. Maybe I should. Maybe I should know Miles. Um, so, what great. stat line do you think the 49ers' defense? needs to hold Mahomes to in order to win
1: less than 500 um, yards <laughs>
2: less than five uh, touchdowns I'm, yeah i i think
1: i mean hey i can i can i frame this a different way sure you're you're a genie and you go to the 49ers and you say hey we can make sure that Aaron that Patrick Mahomes has Aaron Rodgers' exact stat line from last week. Thirty one mm-hmm. of thirty nine, three twenty six, two touchdowns, two picks. Do you take it? I think they do. Yeah. Yeah, because you get two picks. And I think right. And I think if Mahomes does that, I think the Niners win.
2: If yeah, I think if if the Niners get two picks from Mahomes, uh he hasn't thrown two picks in a game this season. If they I get two picks from Mahomes, I feel confident. What's that?
1: I think one would be a huge victory for them.
2: Yeah. Mahomes, that's that's the thing. Like Mahomes is not only ridiculously talented and has an insane arm and can throw off any platform and any angle and all of those things. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um, which is the same is true about Aaron Rodgers in his heyday when he was playing at a completely ridiculous level. So um and that's going back to the Jimmy Garoppolo discussion, I mean that's the next step for him, right? Like if, if Garoppolo doesn't turn the ball over at the rate and then that he has, and then he has all the counting stats that he put together this season. Then I think people look at him significantly different. And he was like eighth in passer rating just, despite having thirteen. I mean, he was eighth in passer rating while ha- having thirteen interceptions. If he cuts that number in half, he's probably what top four, top five in passer rating. And then I think people would would think uh, a little bit more highly of him. Anyway, that wasn't the point of the question. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I'm going to go complete, you know, if Garoppolo, if, uh, Mahomes completes 60% of his passes, which is low and he's under 250 yards and throws a pick or two, then I think the 49ers would have a very good chance at winning the game.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think even if, even if let's say he drops back 50 times, if he's like 31 of 50 for, 300 or 310 with a couple of touchdowns and a pick i think that's a a very good day for the niners defense yeah also because if he's throwing 50 times it probably means the niners are scoring a lot
2: yeah or the chiefs are running up the score and just scoring it well or or that yeah um which i don't think will happen i think the niners defense is probably going to play well uh, David PM. Hey guys, big fan of the pod. Thank you. Uh, what movements do the Niners need to make in the off season in order to remain one of the better teams in the NFL? Do you want to go first?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll kick this one off. <laughs> I think that they need to not do anything. <laughs> uh, and by that, I mean, figure out a way to retain Jimmy Ward because Ward this year has stayed healthy. He's been an excellent player in, in the back end of the secondary. And I just don't think that you're going to find a lot of players that, that better fit the system that is more well-liked than, than, than Ward. So I think it starts with Ward and then I think they need to, uh, I think they need another receiver. I think that's the other big, like when so Emmanuel, I just when it, Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I, I was just kind of trying to rack my brain for like draft needs or, or something like that. Cause I, it's actually weird being in late January and not being knee deep in the draft. <laughs> uh, but I think not diving
2: I th- into senior bowl practice tape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so Jimmy Ward, <laughs> Jimmy Ward's a free agent. Uh Eric Armstead is set to be a free agent. Uh I I I liked what you had to say on him earlier, so I'll I'll let you talk about Armstead a little bit, but I, I think they need another receiver because I think there's another step for this offense, and I think that it starts with a number one. Like I, I think that Debo Samuel is perfect for Kyle Shanahan's system, but Emmanuel Sanders is 32 and he's gonna and he's gonna be a free agent and even if he comes back like how effective can he be in his 11th NFL season he's played a lot of games and he's torn in Achilles um, is is Jalen Hurd gonna be that guy is, is is Trent Taylor gonna gonna add a lot to the passing game I don't think so so I think they need to add a, another receiver and I think they need to really focus on retaining Jimmy Ward because I think he's so important to the back end of their defense.
2: Yeah, so the Forty ers have some—they uh, have some decisions to make because as of right now, according to Over the Cap, the team has uh, just under sixteen million in cap space projected for 2020. So sixteen million, for context, is less than what Eric Armstead would get uh, on the franchise tag, which is probably. The best avenue to keep him because you do have to pay George Kittle and you do have to pay DeForest Buckner at some point. And that could come this offseason because both guys are eligible, but it doesn't necessarily have to come because both guys you could have under contract next season Buckner on his fifth year option, uh, which could get sticky because I would imagine Given the way he's played that um and given that he's represented by Joel Siegel, who is also Khalil Max agent, who held out from the Raiders before his fifth year option season and wound up getting traded, um, it won't surprise me at all if Buckner held out throughout the offseason program without getting a new contract. And frankly, I wouldn't blame him for that because I think he deserves it. Um, but you just look at the roster. So, okay. If you pay Kittle and you pay Buckner this offseason, it's gonna make it very difficult to keep anybody else. Um, and you don't necessarily have to. You could kick that can down the road if you want to. Now, you could restructure a lot of people. You could um, you know, give Jimmy Garoppolo more guaranteed money over the life of his deal, or even sign him to an extension if you wanted to and shrink his cap number this year. Um, you know, Richard Sherman could get an extension, which could ultimately shrink his cap number in 2020 and, and you can give him more guaranteed money down the road. I'm sure you wouldn't be opposed to that. Same with Joe Staley, uh, some possible cuts. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, if you cut him with, I mean, you're, you could save 500 grand because if you cut him, he's going to have 4 million in dead money and, uh, 4.5 million in cap savings basically. So that's a net of 500 K, which I guess is better than nothing given that he hasn't played in, in the last two seasons. Um, you know, Marquise Goodwin, he would save you 3.65 million, uh, in cap space, but you would also have 1.25 million in dead money. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple million here and there. And there there are a bunch of moves that the 49ers could make to, to trim, uh, trim some salary and and create more space. And so, Point being, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to keep all of their free agents. And one thing they might be able to do with Armstead um, is what the Chiefs did with D. Ford last year, who was in the same exact position. They tagged and traded him. So the 49ers could th- theoretically tag Armstead and then trade him and then maybe get something like a second round pick, which is what uh, what the Chiefs got from the 49ers, of course, for D. Ford and the 49ers don't have any draft picks in rounds 2 3 or 4 because of the Ford trade and because of the Emmanuel Sanders trade. Um, also right. Sanders being a free agent then you have to wonder if they're going to re-sign him and how they can make that work. Um, so you you know you kind of look at some of these bigger contracts like how would it work? You know I'm not a capologist I'm I'm just looking at this spreadsheet from over the cap and and thinking that there's probably going to be a lot of uh a lot of restructuring going on so you could try to get some of these guys to fit um maybe you can trade Solomon Thomas I don't know what the cap implications would be uh for a trade but you you yeah you could get you could essentially get 4 million in cap savings if you trade Solomon Thomas maybe for draft picks or a draft pick or or whatever but you could probably cut uh Marquise Goodwin Tevin Coleman would save you 4.9 million that's probably a big one um, that will not surprise me at all if the 49ers moved on from him. So you, anyway, suffice to say, without going too much into the weeds here, I would imagine the 49ers find a way to clear an extra 10 million in space, maybe 15 to get up to that 30 mark to where they can give Kittle a new contract, maybe give Buckner a new contract while also, um, giving Eric Armstead the franchise tag. Maybe Jimmy Ward comes back on a cheap deal there is a scenario where all that works, but it's going to be very tough and it's going to be a big off season for, for Parag because, um, you know, these are all very, very complicated.
1: A lot of, a lot of cap gymnastics coming this lot off of season potentially. Yeah. I think they're 27th in available cap space at the moment with, yeah. with all the deals you just mentioned coming up. So it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting off season and, uh, that's good for people that need to generate content once the Super Bowl's over
2: yeah, and can I make one more point too no! before okay, uh, before you get going um, there were there were a lot of people complaining when the 49ers were bad that um, you know they hoarded so much cap space that they didn't spend on free agents. This is why because cap space rolls over every year so no matter what you are spending if you don't you know if you have thirty million dollars, one season in cap space and then you don't spend it, it goes into the next season to where you roll over cap space in addition to whatever the new cap number is, right? So if the cap goes up by 10 million, which it generally does every off season, if you already have 30 million rolling over, then you're going to have 40 million. Um, and so the 49ers did that a lot and it allowed them to give Jimmy Garoppolo a massive contract. It allowed them to give D Ford a massive contract. Quan Alexander, Weston Richburg, um, Kyle check even, so if the 49ers did not keep all of that cap space when they were bad, they would not be in this position to have as many good players on their roster as they do right now, which is obviously the biggest reason why they, are not the biggest reason, but a huge reason why they're in the Super Bowl is because they have a lot of really good players on expensive contracts, so... That is why uh, and Parag Marate did not want to spend when they were bad, because I think he looked at it and was like, well, if we're going to spend money on free agency, we're not going to do it just to make fans happy. We're going to do it because we think we have a legitimate chance at winning. And that's what these last couple seasons were about. The 49ers looked at themselves and said, we have a really realistic chance of winning now that we have a coach in place, a quarterback. So now let's dump money into the roster. And that's worked out. Which, you know, probably wise given that. God, imagine, imagine what the Forty ers would look like if they had none of that cap space and they dumped all of it on like twenty sixteen free agents for the Chip Oof. Kelly season. Yeah. Anyway, that would be bad. So anyway, the the reason why the team hoarded all this all that cap space when they were bad is so they could be in this position now with a bunch of highly paid players playing in the Super Bowl. Next hey. question. Yeah. You have a, you have a point you wanted to
1: make. No. Okay. Well, there there's just plenty of time to talk about the offseason. Uh, there in, the, is offseason. in, in let's, the offseason. Hey, let's let's skip this question from Tim Sprinkles because I want to address it on next week's podcast. Okay. He asked about, Sprinkles. He we'll get about you next week. Patrick Mahomes and what defenses have given him trouble, and I frankly have not watched enough, but I wanna I wanna watch some of Patrick Mahomes' bad games and figure out you got to grind the the tape dude i'm gonna crush so much tape between that and senior bowl clips i am just neck deep in it dude (laughs) um all right nick
2: king he has a two-parter oh this is for kyle this is a good one uh the best ways to beat the heat yeah and uh is it safe to assume catrick willis is the one that eats all the other cats food
1: yeah, so best ways to beat the Heat, I think it starts with shutting down Jimmy Butler. He's become such a good playmaker on the perimeter with the ball in his hands. And then they're using Bam out of bio the way the Warriors used to use Draymond Green a little bit. They use him as a facilitator in their offense. They're putting him in the high post, and he's becoming... The, very... the, oh, bit, okay. the bit's running long. Oh, okay, I was going to run with that until you said something. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, best ways to beat the Heat, get a job at a place with or find a friend who has a job at a place that has a walk-in freezer and go there and hang out in the walk-in. I used to work at a pizza place in high school. It's very hot in my hometown and hanging out in the walk-in is the best possible way to beat the heat. There is no other right answer to that question. And yeah, Catrick is the one that eats all the other cats food. You can tell because he's fat as hell.
2: Um, cryotherapy, probably a good way to, to beat the heat. Great point
1: but that's not as accessible
2: as you can make the case. It's more accessible. You just got to pay for it.
1: it. Okay. Sorry. We don't all, We're not all rich on just a, a journalist
2: suggestion. salary. I'm not saying it's the right or wrong answer. It was just a suggestion. Okay. Um, hey dude, still... if you want
1: to take beating the heat questions, that's fine. I mean, it's my bit, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs>
2: Uh, Next question from Still Pretending. Do you think Kyle could use a scoring play from the 94 Super Bowl as an homage to his father? I assume he's talking about Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I don't think he's talking about me. Okay. Um, How old were you, in 94, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Uh, Well, that's technically the 95 Super Bowl. I was... 94 season. 95 Super Bowl, right. Um, I was four years old. I have no recollection of that game. Oh, okay.
2: I was, uh, I was seven. Wow, dude, you're so old. I know, I'm super old. Do you? I mean, I. So here's the thing: if Kyle Shanahan does do something like run a play from the '94 team, nobody's gonna know it. Nobody would notice, dude. Nobody. Like, like Steve Gun would know. uh, Mike Shanahan would know. Kyle Shanahan would know. Ricky
1: Waters, maybe. Yeah, Ricky Might Waters. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that play. Yeah,
2: maybe Deion Sanders. Maybe Jerry
1: Rice would definitely tweet about it. Yeah, but here's yeah, here's, but here's, it wouldn't be
2: like, yeah. oh man, look at look at this right, that, play. Like right. nobody would know that. That 94 was that was 25 years ago.
1: Right, and there's a lot of stuff that Kyle Shanahan does that that Mike Shanahan did. Um, so if he sure. were to do something blatant like that. Like you said, I, I don't know how many people would notice, and it would mean the Niners are up by a lot of points. Uh, and it's like late in the game, and Kyle does something that maybe they haven't done all year that he that he pulled directly from from that playbook, and it might look a little different. I mean, I just he I, might just run an outside zone run to Raheem Mostert that scores, <laughs>
2: right? Um, <laughs> which which Mike Shanahan ran a lot.
1: Yeah, so I don't think I I I just I don't. I don't think that that's a thing that that would would happen. Uh, but if a coach was going to do that and run a play specifically as a like shout out to another coach, uh, Kyle Shanahan's the kind of guy that would do it.
2: Yeah. Uh, John and SoCal asks, who will Robert Sala find to replace Joe Woods? Joe, Woods Great is question. Rumored, rumored to be the next defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. He is the 49ers passing game coordinator slash secondaries coach. He's done a phenomenal job, obviously. The 49ers' secondary has been a major strength after being probably the biggest weakness on the team last year, despite not changing the personnel in the back end. And obviously the, the addition of Nick boson, D. Ford, and the 49ers' defensive front playing the way it has has a lot to do with it. But Joe Woods, uh, you ask any of those guys in the secondary, they all tell you that he's done a fantastic job, does a really good job preparing them. Uh, knows tendencies and does a good job scouting opponents and uh, intricacies of route combinations and all of those fun things. Um, so Joe Woods very good at his job. That's probably why he's going to be the Browns coordinator, according to multiple reports. I think Adam Schefter was the first one to uh, to report that. I honestly have no idea. Um, and I, I would guess Daniel Bullock has a chance. He's currently the safeties coach. He's been with the 49ers for three years in that capacity. Um, if there's an internal candidate, it's probably him, but I'm guessing there's somebody, whether it's somebody Kyle Shanahan's familiar with, or somebody from the Pete Carroll, Dan Quinn, Robert Sala coaching tree somewhere out in the league, uh, who's familiar with the cover three scheme that they run. That would be a candidate, but, uh, I cannot tell you that I've, Honestly, spend a whole lot of time thinking about this or researching it, but uh, that is an off-season topic we might dive into at some point. But for now, I'll say Daniel Bullocks is who's the safeties coach may might be in for a promotion.
1: Sure. Okay. Done, next question. I've done zero research about potential secondary coach candidates. Yeah. It's a,
2: so, uh, it's kind of a first world problem at this point for the Niners. The fact yeah, that they but, might have to replace the secondary coach, uh, considering John, all the other assistants basically are, are going to remain with the team or all the other important ones like Robert
1: Sala, uh, Mike McDaniel and, and Michael floor. And uh, um, John, just looking ahead. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. And one that we'll certainly uh, have to look at once uh, Woods is officially in Cleveland.
2: All right, I'm gonna sound like an asshole trying to pronounce uh, Layton's last name. Layton Pahu Kula.
1: Layton, my guy.
2: Layton, what's up? Sorry about mispronouncing your last name. I can uh, I can relate because zero people pronounce my last name correctly. Uh, the first time they say it, and I don't blame them for it because the spelling's weird. But anyway. Um, do you think we see Kyle empty out the playbook, even going into a special edition volume of the playbook? <laughs> I, again, we'll assume he's talking about Kyle Shanahan and there that, was a laughing
1: it. face emoji on the special edition volume thing. I just didn't copy it.
2: Oh, you didn't put that in the rundown. Yeah. That would have helped. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think about the saints game and the, uh, the half, the fullback, read option that uh that the 49ers ran in that Saints game which they also ran uh, week 3 in 2018 when the 49ers played the Chiefs if you remember I do it went it went to Matt Breida in that game so they ran that against the Saints so maybe we see that come out although the uh, the Chiefs have a different defensive coordinator this year who we're going to talk about in a second um but yeah like the the reverse pass to uh to Emmanuel Sanders throwing a Raheem Mostert against the Saints, like something like that wouldn't surprise me. Um, they're going to do some tricky fake reverse screen passes, some uh, uh, tight end shovel passes, a George Kittle reverse. These are all things that we've seen from the 49ers offense this year. I, uh, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. If, uh, calling, if Kyle Shanahan gets into his bag, as as uh, the kids say.
1: Yeah, and especially given... Uh, I, I don't think play-calling is going to be a problem in this game, especially considering the the 49ers for most of the second half against the Vikings and essentially the entire game against the Packers didn't do anything really uh, special or or super interesting offensively. At least it was out of the realm of their typical uh, scheme. And so I think there's going to be some some things that they've been setting up all year. Um, there, was, there was a specific game. I believe it was the Rams Week 16 game where they ran like the same screen out of a bunch formation on the right side like three times and it didn't work any time. And it was just one of those things that I logged in my head like that feels like they're setting something up for later in the year. And I think that'll come back in a game like this. So I'm with you. When you talk about emptying out a playbook, if you're not going to empty it in the Super Bowl, what do you have a playbook for? I I definitely think we'll see a lot of different stuff uh, from the Niners. And I don't think that play calling or or creativity are going to be issues for for San Francisco.
2: Same. Agree. Uh, Zach Van Dyke asks, last high-powered offense the 49ers played the Saints. Uh, They came out swinging with pass plays and drove down the field to start momentum. Do we see that again or stick with the smash mouth run mentality until they prove they can stop it, knowing the Chiefs' ability to score so quickly? So, um, this is a multi-layered question. And if I really had the answer, I probably would make more money than I do working for an NFL team um, in some sort of game planning capacity. But I can say that I think Kyle Shanahan's going to do whatever he thinks works against whatever defense they're getting from KC, right? And I know that sounds overly simplistic. No, but, but it's if right. The Chiefs, yeah, but okay. So if the Chiefs are are loading the box, they have nine guys in the box because they're so worried about the running game. Then I think we're going to see passes. Like I, I don't think Kyle Shanahan is one to beat his head against the wall and try try to have a, a certain mindset going into the game. This is what we're going to do. I think what the 49ers are going to do is take advantage of whatever the defense is doing. And, and, you know, you hear the cliche a lot, well, we're going to take what the defense gives us. I think that's what Kyle Shanahan does as good, if not better than anybody. And he, he does it in very creative ways. So I think that's, that's one of, um, you know, his best attributes as a play caller. So if, you know, the 49ers the basis of what everything they do is the running game right so they are going to run the ball but if the Chiefs are overloading to stop the run I think the 49ers feel really confident in their skill players and Jimmy Garoppolo um, to to make plays down the field with the passing game if that's the case and then if they do that the Chiefs defense is going to loosen up they're not going to load the box as much. And then that might open things up for the running game. So Kyle Shanahan prides himself on, on having a versatile offense, one that can attack a defense, a bunch of different ways based on what the defense is doing. And so I think the 49ers ultimately, they do want to run the ball because that's sort of the identity they've developed. And that's sort of the rhythm they're in right now. And they like making their offensive linemen happy by running the ball because, um, you know, that's one of the underrated elements. And I I think we talked about it in last week's podcast, but like the human element of the running game is that when your offensive line is fired up and kicking ass, like it was against the Packers um, and it's working, like that's a very powerful tool to have. Even if analytics would say the pass a good passing game is more efficient than a good running game, which, you know, I'm not going to argue with, but the human element says, Happy offensive linemen play better. And uh and the 49ers offensive line played really well in these last two playoff games, in part because Kyle Shannon was so willing to just run the ball right at the Vikings and uh, and Packers. So I guess long story short, the Niners are gonna do Kyle Shannon's gonna do whatever he thinks is best against the certain look from the Chiefs defense. And uh and I don't know if if they're thinking about it in, in from the standpoint of All right, this is how, I mean, they they are going to have a game script, obviously. They ideally want to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field as much as possible. Um, But there's also a scenario where Patrick Mahomes is ridiculous and scores three touchdowns in the first half, and the 49ers are going to have to throw the ball a lot just to keep pace, which is sort of what happened in that Saints game. So um, it it all depends. There are a million factors at play, but uh, I don't know that they're going into it with one single mindset in mind.
1: If the 49ers are ripping off five and a half yards a carry, they're going to run it a lot of times, but they're not just going to go run it 45 times at two yards, a clip just for the sake of running it 45 times. Kyle Shanahan is very good at identifying a defense's weakness and then attacking it in a variety of ways, getting the matchups that he wants. And the game script will obviously change as, as things go on. But, um, I just in watching a little bit of the Chiefs. I'm not sure how good uh their linebackers are in coverage. I'm not sure how good their safety play is. I know Tyron Matthew is an excellent player, but I don't know if he can cover George Kittle one-on-one. And I just look at Kansas City's defense off top and I don't know if they can cover the 49ers. That being said, uh, if the Niners are going off at 5 or 6 yards a carry, they're probably going to run it a lot because that means they're having success on the ground, they're running clock, and they're keeping Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. So uh, I, I agree with what you said. The Niners aren't a running team or a throwing team. They are almost an exact 50-50 split for the season. And um, I, whatever they think is is going to beat Kansas City, they're going to roll with them. I just, I mean, <laughs> it, it's... It, it's what you said at the top was exactly right. Like if whatever they think is going to win them the game, they're going to do.
2: Yeah. And we, we mentioned it already. Kyle Shanahan said it before, I think before the Vikings game, Um, if you want to, if you want to run the ball, you have to be able to throw it. And if you want to throw it, you have to be able to run it. So that, that sort of exemplifies his view uh, of offense. So uh, to Tony's health tips asks, do NFL teams give flu shots? I don't know this for a fact, but I would hope so.
1: Yeah, especially so. since Dante Pettis missed Thursday's practice with an illness. Yeah, and, and then R- Robert-, Robert Sala mentioned that he was he and some of the coaches were quarantined last week. So, like you said, I, I they might. Yeah,
2: I mean they they get treatment for basically everything else. So yeah, I I would imagine that's the case. Um, and there are other players, aside from Dante Pettis, who have been dealing with illnesses lately, um, including some notable ones. But uh, it seems like everybody is mostly okay for now. The Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, their tight end mispractice on Thursday uh, with an illness. So it's it's not exclusive to the 49ers. We'll have to see when we get down to Miami if it's uh, going to impact things. But it is a little bit warmer in uh, in South Florida. So maybe that will help. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but we have plenty of time to talk about all that. Um, Chris Navarro asks, with Ben Garland in, is he better than Weston Richburg? Ben Garland has been good. Uh, I don't believe he's better than Weston Richburg, but I have been pleasantly surprised with how well Garland has played. Um, he's been very good as a run blocker. He's really good at get, getting to the second level in, in terms of you know getting upfield and, and blocking for a lot of these outside zone running plays. And, uh, and that's been a super positive development and one that might have, might be under reported, underrated, uh, whatever of, of this playoff run since Richburg's gone out in that saints game, the 49ers haven't had much drop off with Garland. There've been some shaky snaps here and there, but, um, overall Garland's played well, but he is not better than Western Richburg in my opinion. And I don't know if, if there's anybody on the team or in the league, um, who would think that Garland is actually better than Richburg?
1: Yeah, when when he came in against the Saints, there wasn't really a huge drop off, but there was so much going on in that game that I think it it would have been tough to to really notice. But in the in the Falcons game, he got eaten alive. Yeah, Grady start. Jarrett
2: did his thing against him.
1: Yeah, and that was a. Pretty significant concern because the, the Falcons dominated the interior of, of the offensive line, and it looked like that was going to be a problem for the Niners going forward, especially with the Rams coming in. Then they had to go to Seattle. Like That looked like it was going to be the kind of thing that, that might derail their season. But Garland, since that game against Atlanta, has been very, very good. Uh, probably not as good as Weston Richburg, but certainly good enough to, to get the Niners to the Super Bowl that's that's some hardcore analysis
2: uh nate ward asks in today's press conference we're recording this thursday night emmanuel sanders sounded really irritated with the jimmy garoppolo question among others do you get the sense that was more about the question or about jimmy um so i was actually not in the the auditorium for this portion of of today's pressers what happens Uh, On days like this, the the 49ers will have guys, some of the more popular players, go to the press conference where they can fill questions in the auditorium where it's a little less hectic than the locker room. But they also open up the locker room, so I was in the locker room during this portion of it. Um, I also had just a really horrendous performance uh, in Nick Bosa's presser today. I, like, midway through a question, my mind just went completely blank. And uh, and I just had a brain fart at like the most inopportune time. So if there's some babble, if you're watching Nick Bosa's presser from today and there's some bad babbling idiot who says something and then says immediately in the middle of his question, like, I don't even know what I'm asking anymore. That was me. Um, So I'll wear that and I got to get better for tomorrow. Anyway, this Emmanuel Sanders thing, um, it speaks to. So here's the quote. And uh, I I have and watch the video and uh and so but reading the quote i think i know exactly what sanders viewpoint of this um let me go through and find it so all right somebody asked him you've been around a lot of quarterbacks what makes jimmy Garoppolo unique as a leader and obviously when he takes it out on the field in the huddle so sanders said i love jimmy i swear i love jimmy but i'm tired of talking about jimmy Uh, Jimmy is a baller. I've been saying it since day one, but that's my boy, man. And Jimmy's a baller. And I keep saying it over and over, and it's the same question. So basically, what Sanders is alluding to, and he went on to talk a little bit about more why he thinks Garoppolo is a baller. But um, I mean, ever since Sanders got here, he's done nothing but say positive things about Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think he's tired of talking about Jimmy because of all the discussion outside of the 49ers, whether it's in national media or on those Uh, TV shows where people just argue about stuff or sports talk radio um, where people say things like they don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo or they don't think Jimmy Garoppolo can win a big game because the 49ers have been running the ball a lot. We already talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and we have talked about Jimmy Garoppolo at length. I disagree with that sentiment. Um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a very good quarterback. I think he hasn't won it yet. So people are. Are stubborn in terms of the way they think about him they in the nfl when it comes to quarterbacks the only quarterbacks people trust are the ones that um have extensive resumes so like you know drew Brees won a super bowl so we can trust him now tom brady's won a bunch a lot of super bowls we can trust him now um just because somebody hasn't do it doesn't hasn't done it yet doesn't mean they can't or they won't right and i think it's sort of this lazy line of thinking we have when it comes to quarterbacks so i think that sort of national discussion is what, um, is what has worn out Sanders when it comes to this discussion. And, and I think he answered that question sort of he – he seems exasperated just by the quote, and I could imagine what the video looked like. But um, I, I think he's mentally preparing for answering the same question about 75 different times next week because Miami's going to be insane. Um and everybody's gonna ask the question about Jimmy Garoppolo, particularly after the 49ers only threw the ball eight times in that NFC title game because they were the run they were running the ball so effectively. Um so I think that's why Sanders said what he said and seemed irritated because he believes in Jimmy Garoppolo and he's probably tired of everybody who on the outside looking in who does not believe in Jimmy Garoppolo and that being a- an actual discussion point going into the Super Bowl.
1: Well, and especially when how many different ways can a player express support for another player like right. i I just i mean, I get it i'm I'm getting tired of that storyline, and I'm not in the locker room having questions asked to me every day so i if if Sanders is irritated, I think it was more. By the line of questioning, I don't think it's anything to do with with Garoppolo.
2: Yeah. Next question. Uh, this is from uh, Kylie Madsen. Um I believe catch... that's
1: pronounced Kyle Madsen. Oh, OK. All
2: right. Let's see what this joker has to ask. Uh, do you catch a lot of shit from your fellow writers or players when you word vomit in a press conference? No, because I never word vomit in a press conference. Full stop.
1: Okay. No, all but see, that was a good, th- all my questions are good, Kyle. <laughs> no, but you, 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 I, I was going to ask Except when you, I was going to ask when you got done with the Bosa thing. Um, but then you launched immediately into answering the question. I didn't want to get off the rails. So, uh, this is me by the way that asked that question. I don't know if you noticed that <laughs> I just typed it in. So like if a, if a writer does that, like just, you know, people make mistakes. Is it one of those things where it's like, hey, that's embarrassing. Nobody says anything. Or are they like, hey, great question, Biederman. Like Yeah, so it kind of depends.
2: Like I uh, I owned up to it. Like I think what, what's really important just in the profession as a whole is self-awareness. So like it's a public forum, right? Like if you're in a press conference like today, there are probably 25 people in that room. Um, so if you're asking a question, you are taking the time of everybody in that room, including the players. Um, so if you're asking a question, it better be a good question and it better be useful to other people. Right. Because they're you know, p- these guys answer questions from anywhere from like, you know, Kyle Shanahan might answer questions for 15 minutes. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is usually around eight to 10 minutes, maybe less more than, more of the time. So like if if you're asking a question, ideally, for other people in the room, they would be able to use it, right? Like, you want to ask good questions. And so, typically, the people who ask the most questions are the beat people who cover the team every day. I'm one of those. There's probably, what, eight of us, I guess. Um, and then the national people will come in. The news people will come in. And then there are some other people who don't cover the team all the time, but they ask questions. Point being... um. Like there are people who ask questions who can sometimes be long winded and sometimes that needs to be addressed because we do have a certain amount of time, um, a very limited amount of time. And so there there is a dynamic, but like ultimately no one really cares if there's self-awareness involved. Like if everyone's like, all right, I, I got it. Or like the people who have egos, who, who don't have any self-awareness and who go into these press conferences, like, um. You know, unabashedly doing their thing and not realizing that you're sort of cutting into what what the rest of us are doing as a collective, then that right. can be sort of problematic. But we haven't really had much of that. Like we generally, it's been it's been pretty positive. And you know, the beat guys, we all get along really well. Um, and so we there there isn't a whole lot of uh, actually there isn't really any like conflict among uh, among media people in, in the in on, covering the Niners at least. I, I can't speak for every beat out there, but I can say that we all get along really well and we all understand the dynamics and uh, and there are certain people who have certain styles of asking questions. Eric Branch of the Chronicle is my favorite because he he's always hilarious. asks... He's hilarious. He Was he uh, the
1: guy asking Bosa about his leg workouts?
2: No. Well, he might have been, but I think that uh, Ian Killian wrote the column for the Chronicle today about his about Bosa's leg workout. So I think it was her, but uh, Branch also the Chronicle with Killian. Um, but uh, Branch will, Branch's favorite thing to do, and I don't know if he does this on purpose or not, but it happens so often that we think he does it on purpose, is he always asks the very last question, not always, but more often than not, he has the very last question of a press conference after the PR staffer, will say last question before the previous question. So like branch will cut in after the PR staffer expects the presser to be over. And then um, branch will ask his question and it's always a very good question, but it's always kind of not always, but it can be like a, like a cutting question, like, like a, a criticism or a uh, he'll point out a negative side of something and then ask a player to respond to it. So it's always like, He'll end his presser with a tough question, and Eric uh, critical question, I guess is one is is the right way to put it. Um, so that that can provide a funny dynamic and a humorous one if you understand Eric Branch's sense of humor, which I'm not sure everybody totally does, which is part of its appeal,
1: to be honest. It's more um, of a like dry British sense of humor,
2: <laughs> and it's very Branch is very self aware and very. Um, uh, what's the word i'm looking for self-deprecating he's extremely self-deprecating so that that plays into it and that's why he gets the equity that he has is because he understands that he is being kind of a pain in the ass but it's also part of the job is to like ask the difficult questions and he's good at that so
1: well the person who transcribed the interviews for the 49ers build you secrets, but you said what
2: no, hopefully I'm not. Uh, I'm not revealing too much about what goes on. But these are like, I mean, these well, they, these press conferences are all on video and all the transcripts come out, so everybody can see the stuff anyway. The, I'm not the person revealing who does,
1: stuff. The person who does the transcripts build you out though, because there's nothing about someone losing their train of thought in here. Right. I was really hoping that it would be, but it's not.
2: Uh, Antonio De La Costa asks how big of an advantage is Joe Woods in this game? He has coached in the AFC West for the past three years. Yeah, I I don't know if it's gonna change. Like I, like NFL coaches, all know what's happening. They they can all break down tape and all they all know what uh, an offense likes to do and what it looks like. Um, Joe Woods is a very good secondaries coach, and absolutely going against Andy Reid twice a year for the past three years is gonna help. I don't know that it's gonna be the difference in the game, but it's I mean it's not gonna hurt. It's not gonna help. I don't know that. You know, like if Joe Woods had coached the Philadelphia had been on the Philadelphia Eagles staff the last three years and hadn't played the Chiefs, like, I don't know if there would be that much of a difference. Right. Because like these guys can break down tape. It doesn't hurt, but I don't think it's going to be like a total game changer in my opinion. And maybe it is. Maybe he completely has Andy Reid's number. I don't know, but I'm not expecting that based on
1: the Broncos success or lack thereof against the Chiefs last year. I'm going with no. Okay
2: uh how had this is the last question we're at an hour and 10 minutes
1: this is also antonio
2: oh same and antonio de la costa question number two um how does steve spagnolo the chiefs defensive coordinator done versus Shandaff? uh (laughs) Shandolf.
1: like gandalf
2: right because he's a wizard wizard, yeah okay i get it um how has he done against spagnolo in the past So I'm going to I'm going to let you answer this because uh, you just you just wrote a piece about this exact subject.
1: I was in the middle of of writing this like literally like three or four games in and I jumped over to Twitter just to just to check and see if any more questions had come in that I could that I could post in the rundown real quick. And we got this question and I was like, well, that's perfect. So the the gist of the piece is you can find it on NinersWire.com, but spoiler alert. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is five and one all time against Spagnolo defenses. That goes back to their first meeting in 2009 when Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans and Steve Spagnolo was the head coach of the St. Louis Rams in six games. And it's worth noting that Shanahan was working with Matt Schaub for one of the games, Donovan McNabb, in Washington for one of them and Rex Grossman for another one. Uh, he averaged uh, Shanahan's offenses averaged 8.7 yards per pass attempt, 4.3 yards per carry and 24 points per game. Shanahan is five and one against Spagnuolo. Some of those teams, like when you're going back and looking Spagnolo's Rams teams were really bad. And some of the Washington, yes. some of the Washington offenses Shanahan had were really bad. But um, the fact that Shanahan always seems to find success against Spagnolo is at least a positive omen for how Sunday might go, whether it's a stylistic matchup or the fact that Spagnolo just doesn't uh, necessarily make many adjustments to, to uh, Shanahan's offense or uh, what it is. Like I said, I didn't grind the tape of all those matchups, I just kind of went and and check the box scores and, and watch some highlights to see what I could, what I could glean. But the gist of it is Kyle Shanahan dominates, uh, those matchups against Spagnola, whether Spagnola is a head coach of the Rams or the defensive coordinator of the saints or the defensive coordinator of the giants.
2: Uh, how many of those teams had Patrick Mahomes at quarterback?
1: None of them. Okay.
2: Sorry. I had to be that guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no that's fine that's why
1: that's why the record is is less important than that like right. 8.7 yards per pass attempt uh over four yards a carry uh, 24 points a game and and um i think that's more telling than the actual uh the actual record all right i think we're out of questions Do we want to check? uh, Do we want to go on Twitter one more time to see if there are any more? No, because your boy's got stuff to do. All right. Yeah, and we can do it. We can. I mean, if there are, we can we can throw them in next week's rundown. Yeah, we We can at least adjust the topics. Two more shows.
2: We we could steal the topics without giving people credit for. Oh, nice, dude. Yeah. Um. All right. That is it. Mailbag episode of the bye week of the Super Bowl even though it's not really a bye week the 49ers practice today Thursday they will practice tomorrow the Chiefs have been practicing since Wednesday Um, so it is very much a a normal prep week Kyle Shanahan has harped on the idea that you get all your hard work done this week in terms of preparation so you don't have to rely on next week when it's going to be complete mayhem in Miami Um, which is a a sentiment that's been uh, re iterated by other veterans on the team who have played in the Super Bowl before, such as Joe Staley and Emmanuel Sanders. Kyle Shanahan, of course, went to the Super Bowl after the 2016 season as the Falcons offensive coordinator. So he has he has an idea of what he's dealing with. And Robert Sala was on the Seahawks staffs when uh, or at least in 2013 when they went to the Super Bowl. So he's a little bit familiar with it, too. Um, So, yeah, not a bye week anyway. uh, So next podcast, I will be in Miami I do not know if we're going to be able to record Monday night because Monday night is the opening night event, which for, was formerly known as media day. Uh, rumor has it, there are going to be 6,000 media members there. Um, oh my God. Which is a lot. Me. Yeah. It's going to be,
1: I just dropped my phone. That's fine.
2: Yeah. It's going to be my second one. I, I went to the one here uh, for Super Bowl 50 when, uh, when the Broncos and, Uh, Carolina Panthers were in town, and that was at the SAP Center where the Sharks play hockey. Um, This is going to be at Marlins Park, where the Miami Marlins play baseball. So that's a much larger field with a lot more square footage. And uh, I'm just imagining it's going to be completely insane. So anyway, that's going to be Monday night. I'm not sure if we're going to record a podcast after that, because I'm going to have stuff to write about from the newspaper, the Sacramento Bee which is turning out all sorts of Super Bowl content, which you should go check out and subscribe to. And uh, you should also go check out NinersWire.com, one of the best blogs on the internet. And uh, Kyle's running that show with a plum. And, uh, yeah, anything else? You, you got anything else to plug? Shout out to Tyler
1: Chin, our editor, for doing this tonight. Yeah, when you're done with this pod, go check out Striking Gold on Strike the Gold. Blue Wire Network
2: also on the Blue Wire network. I know I say this is uh, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire network, but really it's one of them.
1: Yeah, but you also went to Ohio State, so that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it's really it's just the a 49ers passive... podcast like ugh.
2: Right, right. Well, ultimately like I mean there is that element to it, but it's also just a passive aggressive jab at uh, at
1: striking gold. Yeah, it's probably. Yeah, yeah. We that's, got,
2: exactly, that's exactly how I've
1: approached it. We got podcast beef with those guys. We got peef. <laughs> okay. Can uh, we go now. I'm sorry. We're never,
2: never going to say the word peef again. The
1: good news uh, is
2: nobody is listening to this car. We, uh, we will check in for Miami or next week. And uh, I don't know when that episode's going to come out. Maybe we'll record it Tuesday night, so it might be Wednesday. But uh, there's going to be be lots of content coming your way whether it's an audio format or written so check that out follow us on twitter subscribe rate and view to the podcast where you listen and we'll talk to you guys later